Habits 365 Conscious Minds Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Conscious Minds Podcast. I am your host, Chris Holbert, and we are joined with my co-host, who is the founder and CEO of Habits 365, Spencer Zide. Spencer, thank you for joining today. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Always a pleasure to be here. Um, so today we have a very, very special guest. Um, Jacob is someone that I've known since 2016. His wide range of knowledge on sports, culture, politics, and technology is certainly remarkable as he has lots of insight on some super important topics. He is the community lead of Dapper Labs and NBA Top Shot, uh, Jacob Eisenberg. Jacob, welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to get right into it. Top Shot is taking the world by storm right now, the sports world that is. Tell me about, I guess, how you got into that, how it was created, and the origins of uh, NBA Top Shot as a platform. Sure. So kind of dual tracks there. Um, for me personally, I got involved with Top Shot last summer. Uh, I used to scout basketball, and uh, one of the agents that I used to work with when I was a scout, uh, he must have gotten into the beta early for Top Shot, and he sent me a job listing from Dapper Labs uh, saying, hey, like they're looking for someone to do community, and you know basketball and community really well. You should, you should apply. And you know, at that time, I had just been laid off from overtime, so I had the downtime uh, and I was being strategic about what my next role would be. And this kind of came on my radar, got me excited. I used to trade cards growing up, so it felt like a very natural progression. Um, so that's kind of the rest is history. It, it was the first job that I'd ever, I, I guess the second job I had ever taken where I knew next to nothing about the space and the industry. Um, but I do know a good amount about basketball and the, the core tenets of how to build a healthy community overlap, whether you're doing, uh, you know, IRL for a sports team or for a, a blockchain product like Top Shot. And then as far as how Top Shot got created, um, Dapper Labs in 2017, at like the, the initial NFT boom, they, they created an NFT called CryptoKitties, which literally kind of crashed the Ethereum network, just too many transactions happening every day. Uh, they had about $30 million in peer-to-peer -peer transactions, um, which, you know, at the time, uh, with NFTs being so, so new then, um, kind of was eye-opening. And then they took that, that data uh, and brought it to the NBA, among other partners, and, and showed hey, look, like this is what we did with an IP that we made up out of thin air. Imagine what we could do with the NBA as a licensed partner. And that got them interested. And I don't think it was a, a quick sell overnight necessarily, but uh, it led to uh, about a year of negotiation and, and back and forth to figure out what the right product for the NBA and the NFT space was. And that, that's how we got Top Shot. Wow, that sounds really interesting. And uh, for those of uh, the listeners that may not know, do you want to explain like the blockchain and the crypto space? Because I personally, I have a Coinbase account, I invest in crypto, and I've been interested in the blockchain space for a very long time and NFTs. So you want to explain further how the whole process kind of works and how you got into the space and what it's all about? Sure. So I think the most important thing I'd like to emphasize is to get into Top Shot, you literally don't need to know anything about crypto. You don't need to know anything about NFTs. 
um, part of the goal of Top Shot is to kind of serve as a Trojan horse to get uh, the average Joe or Jane, so to speak, to come to Top Shot, enjoy using the platform, understand the trading, the, the real-time kind of uh, buying and selling of a, an active marketplace um, without necessarily having to know all that goes into kind of the blockchain. I would equate it similarly to Venmo, right? Like you don't need to know how Venmo works and keeps track of what is in your account versus what's in your friend's account. You just need to trust that it does work. And that's the same with Top Shot in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think the, the simplest way to explain blockchain technology to a layman might be, you know, it's kind of this spreadsheet um, that has a ledger of every single transaction that's occurred in that blockchain. And when a transaction occurs, it gets added to the spreadsheet and you can't change the spreadsheet unless you're kind of making a transaction on that blockchain. So um, it's basically a public record shows the history of where every single um, asset within that blockchain has once existed. Uh, one, one kind of uh, useful example there might be if uh, Spencer, you sold your LeBron James moment to me for $250. I sold it to Chris for $300. That would all appear in the blockchain and uh, as the ledger of proof that this all occurred. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really like super advanced ecosystem. And, and the fact that you've been able to kind of take it by storm and really, you know, have it be something that is super relevant today in the NBA. I mean, it's all over Instagram. It's all over uh, the sports networks, Police Report, ESPN. I've seen it uh, in a you know wide range of spaces without even communicating with you directly on it or talking about um, it in that sense. I want to know, I guess, on the outside of Top Shot, in terms of your relationship with you know a lot of the NBA players, you know Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Hart, Obi Toppin, people like that. How that's kind of come to fruition, and, and what that's been like over the last year and a half or so. Sure. Yeah. It really all started, I would say, in late January or early February when uh, we found out through uh, Josh Hart's manager that Josh was really interested in learning more about Top Shot. Um, and then we did a stream together. We explained the moments. Actually, the first moment he ever pulled from a pack uh, was a moment in which DeAndre Aiden more or less dunked on him and his teammate. So that was you know, <laughs> funny, funny hijinks right there. Um, but yeah, through through Josh and then Tyrese, as you mentioned, a bunch of Orlando Magic players, Terrence Ross, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Michael Carter-Williams, um, there have been just pockets of locker rooms around the NBA that, you know, when Top Shot was first going viral, players were like, yo, have you heard about Top Shot? You got to get it on Top Shot. It's a lot of fun. And I think that really spread like wildfire. And uh, I'd say at this point, we probably have 25 to, to 26 different teams represented on Top Shot with at least one player uh, who's a collector. It's a lot of that's a lot of people. I mean, that's the fact that it's been able to basically take over almost the entire league is, you know, astounding because something like this, it's very niche. And so you figure, you know, maybe not a lot of guys are into it. They're focused on the games and the training and the summer summer league and vacation and stuff like that. But the fact that there's been such an investment this early on by so many players, especially the young younger guys, um, I've seen more or less 
which is, you know, that's that's awesome. I, I wanted to follow up about a question about blockchain. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I did hear a story about maybe a, maybe a month or two ago where someone was using, I think it was Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or one of those uh, coins, and they had some 250 million in there and they forgot their password and they were locked out. That problem of it kind of being decentralized, do you think that problem could translate in any way to Dapper Labs Top Shot or is that kind of a very specific um, outside example of, of something that could go wrong with the, um, the decentralization? Yeah, um, good question. I think right now Top Shot is more centralized than Bitcoin or Ethereum in the sense that the only place to buy and sell Top Shot moments is nbatopshot.com. Um, over time, uh, and, and sooner rather than later, I think, we will be de more decentralized. So you'll be able to buy, sell, trade your Top Shot moments on a bunch of different marketplaces within the NFT world. Um, the, the problem or that, that story that you heard that I do anticipate will continue to be something going forward. Uh, I would recommend to anyone with a MetaMask account, like, uh, don't forget your password A and remember what your seed phrase is and maybe write it down on physical paper, like literally physical paper, write it down, <laughs> put it in your safe or in your, your drawer somewhere safe um, because you don't want to be the, the moron that loses millions of dollars or even hundreds of dollars or dozens of dollars by just being irresponsible about how you're keeping it. Yeah. yeah, literally. And um, with this whole uh, blockchain uh, network, do you think NFTs are more so a fad than anything? Or do you think they're here to stay? Because I know there's a lot of speculation around the space right now. And there could be a potential very large transfer of wealth into the crypto space. And NFTs obviously play a big part of the crypto space as well. And that's why there's a lot of booms in their uh, prices so far. And it's kind of really gauging a lot of people to crawl into this space. But do you personally think that it's something that's here to stay or is it just something that's blowing up temporarily? So I think you're definitely seeing kind of what we saw in the late nineties with the dot com era, yeah. uh, where there's a lot of speculation, a lot of greed and a lot of unrealistic expectations about what, uh, some projects will be. With that being said, when we left the 1990s in the dot-com bubble, we still had Amazon come out of it. We still ha had Google come out of it. We still had, you know, there are these real blue chippers. And I, I think that's the same case with the NFT space right now. There are going to be blue chippers that survive this bubble um, and, and go on to be bigger, you know, be it NBA Top Shot, be it CryptoPunks, be it Board Ape Yacht Club. There are a handful of really excellent uh, NFT projects going on right now. More than a handful, I would say, but those were just a few to name. Uh, and I think, those, I think those are all here to stay. And I think those are only scratching the surface of what they can be long term. And uh, I'm very excited for that because, you know, I think even in just the last six months, Top Shot's gone from kind of this uh, project where there was no proof of utility. It was all just kind of theoretical. And, you know, fast forward, we fly collectors out to game five of the NBA finals, 
the night before the draft, collectors are having dinner with Davion Mitchell and Zaire Williams. Wow. Or flying collectors out to Vegas to play knockout with Tyrese Halliburton. You know, like these unviable fan experiences, we really want to be the currency of NBA fans. And uh, I, I think the strides we're making and, and what we have in store for the future will only continue to cement that. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, and I personally think it is a great space. And uh, like you said before, it's like there are going to be potentially those winners that, yeah, it might be a bubble right now, but there are those solidified technologies that will win at the end. Do you think Bitcoin and Ethereum are those blue chip currencies or do you think there's other winners that are going to be also along for the ride yeah i think certainly when you when you think about bitcoin and ethereum they have a great head start um i do wonder uh, as the world gets more environmentally conscious yeah uh, how sustainable that will be because both of those blockchains right now are proof of work rather yes. than proof of stake uh so very very taxing i think Bitcoin right now uses more energy than the entire country of Argentina, uh, which, you know, I think at a certain nihilistic standpoint, your, your people are going to maybe start boycotting. And I don't yeah. think that will be universal. I think there's certainly magnates in China, let's say that, or in Russia, that are still going to be very into it. And I think it will continue to be a, a store of value um, in the U.S. as well. Ethereum, far more utility with Ethereum. You can buy, yeah. you can sell. Uh, their network is where overwhelming majority of NFTs exist right now. Um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Flow, which is the, the blockchain that Dapper Labs is creating, um, which NBA Top Shot is powered by. And uh, I anticipate a lot more great projects coming to Flow. And some advantages for Flow are, A, number one, uh, no gas. So when there's a high... Gas is uh, a fee that you pay on every transaction on the Ethereum network um, because it takes a lot of effort and energy for Ethereum to fulfill the transaction. So you have to kind of pay that cost. So there are literally times when you're trying to buy like a $20 NFT and the gas costs $70 on it. And so with with Flow, no gas, uh, and that's a big advantage. Number two, it's proof of stake rather than proof of work. Yeah. Um, the way to kind of uh, explain that to someone that's unfamiliar with blockchain all, all around, I would say, and, and the, the crypto heads or the blockchain enthusiasts listening might correct me because this is a very, very rudimentary explanation. But imagine you're in your school computer lab and uh, in order for the computer lab, for all the computers to be on, you need all the computers to be on. That would be proof of work. With yep. proof of stake, in order for you to be able to use one of the computers, you just need one of the computers in the computer lab to be on. So it doesn't matter which one's on, as long as one of them is on, the entire computer lab can can function and work. Um, not the best explanation, but that, that's kind of how uh, proof of stake could be far more efficient. You just need one kind of uh, node in your blockchain to be running and operational to be able to complete and, and automate the uh, the ledger, if you will. Yeah, and I know uh, proof of work is so energy intensive, like you said, with like Bitcoin. I mean, that's, I think it's just unsustainable, especially if it is going to scale to the point where it's almost a worldwide thing and it's almost the norm. So I think proof of stake is definitely the way to go. And with Ethereum 2.0 as well, that's what they're trying, that's their new protocol. It's the proof of stake rather than the proof of work. So do you think that? the proof of stake is the way that blockchain is going to head 
I think so. Um, and yeah, I'll be interested to see uh, the way that Ethereum 2.0 is rolling out. Uh, they are taking an approach that uh, some have uh, some have some skepticism around whether it will be truly uh, scalable. Uh, they're using a technique called sharding. Um, that's a real word and a real technique. Uh, <laughs> and it's it has its limitations. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, and then as far as uh, proof of stake long term, there are certainly going to be blockchains. Like part of the appeal for really rich people with Bitcoin is you can stake and you can, you can earn more Bitcoin. Um, and it's so kind of uh, labor intensive and, and expensive that if you're really rich, it's a way to get, it, it's more practical for you to invest and stake on Bitcoin because the, the dividends and the returns are higher. So I think there will be continuous use of blockchains that are proof of work just because they really reward uh, the, the 1%, if you will, or the 0.1%. Uh, but I think you're going to see more proof of stake blockchains as the mainstream user adoption long term. And that's certainly the bet that Flow is making and we're making at Dapper Labs with Flow. Nice. Mm. Yeah, I think I need a, um, what are those books? Uh, the uh, Crypto for Dummies. I think I need that. I need to read that. <laughs> freshen up a little bit because uh, this stuff is super interesting. A little over my head, but um, definitely <laughs> it's a lot stuff that it's I, that, <laughs> yeah, that I want to learn more about. I, I was at an internship a few years ago and kind of worked a little bit on just blockchain and you know understanding the platform. And it's obviously there's a lot of complexity to it, but it's definitely I would say the way of the future certainly. Um, Jacob, to transition to uh, the NBA itself, what do you think? You know, we've spoken about this off camera uh, quite a bit. What do you think about the direction in terms of the, I guess, player empowerment as opposed to maybe, you know, 30, 40 years ago or even probably 10, 15 years ago? Do you think that the NBA is headed in the right direction with the sort of personalized brands on these players, the, um, you know, call to action on social issues, things of that nature? Do you think that the NBA is setting itself up in a good situation uh, with you know, the players being allowed to, you know, sort of speak their mind and, and kind of have their own platform. Uh, and do you see any, you know, problems in the future with, um, I guess, this new wave of, of uh, activism and, you know, branding and appeal in, in general? So it's kind of two different questions in one. From a social standpoint, I think the player is being able to uh, use their voice, use their brand, use their following to progress social issues, that's fantastic. I think we're only going to continue to see more of that. I think when Bill Russell was the superstar of the NBA, he tried to do that and wasn't able to get as many players on board. So now that we're seeing that, an overwhelming majority of the league is supportive and, and unified around kind of progressing social causes, I think there's going to only continue to be more momentum on that front. Uh, when it comes to how the NBA is uh, impacted by the player empowerment era, I think that's a, a double-edged sword. Certainly you're going to see uh, more fans who are identifying as fans of a specific player. I'm a LeBron fan, so I'm gonna follow LeBron from Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland to LA. 
I'm going to follow Bradley Beal wherever he goes next if he doesn't stay with the, the Wizards. Um, right, I think more fans of the upcoming generation uh, root for players over teams. So I think that's great. Where I start to see some apprehension and, and some headaches for the league long term is this world in which you know Ben Simmons, and, and he's a little bit of an exception just because of how kind of uh, haywire the end of their playoffs went last year. But Ben Simmons has four years left on this deal, and he's going to hold out until he gets traded. And it used to be the case of like when the players in their expiring contract, that's when you start to explore trades. Then it, in the Carmelo Anthony example, it was like the year before their contract expires, actually the best time to trade them because you could still get some value. And now it's kind of like a player is just going to sign their max extension and request a trade within a year because that's kind of the convenient, practical thing to do. And I think that's problematic for the league as a kind of sustainable model because it really benefits the big market teams and really hurts the small market teams. You're not going to find too many guys like Giannis or Jokic who are content to just be on a small market team for the rest of their careers. And so I think that's a concern. Um, but, you know, I think there are solves. Uh, I'll be curious to see what the league kind of figures out there. Um, but certainly the status quo is trending in a direction where, like, I don't think we'll see the Cavaliers or the Pacers win a championship again in our lifetimes, just if, if the current trajectory maintains. Oh, yeah, totally. Now, speaking of, you know, hopefully winning a championship, we, we have to talk about the Knicks. It would be <laughs> if we didn't. So we've improved vitally. We are a different team. We are not 2018-2019 Knicks. This is not, you know, Derek Fisher and Jeff Hornacek and, uh, you know, even, even you know, Fisdale. This is not that same group. This is not, you know, Frank Milikina and, you know, <laughs> Travis Ware. This is a different team. And this is a, this is a team that had a really impressive regular season, kind of shit the bed in the playoffs, and kind of re-upped everybody that was important with, you know, an exception of Reggie Bullock and got Kemba, got Evan Fournier, got some good draft talent. What do you see for them this season? And are you optimistic or do you think that uh, this was a fluke? Uh, I am optimistic they'll make the playoffs. I think they are a more talented team this year than last. I am pessimistic on them having home court advantage in the first round just because I think the East got better and the East's improvement outpaced the Knicks' improvement, right? Between Miami getting Kyle Lowry, uh, between uh, you know, just looking down the East, really, right? I think Boston got a lot better by adding Schroeder and adding Al Orford to the mix. I think... Uh, Brooklyn obviously got better. Milwaukee's the defending champs. Atlanta got better just with another year of Trey Young improvement. Uh, so right there alone, that's that's like five. Philly is probably a better team than the Knicks even still. That's like five or six teams that might be better. Indiana now has Rick Car Carlisle and TJ Warren and uh, got a lot more healthy pieces back. Malcolm Brogdon's healthy again. You know, so I'm, I'm not counting the Bulls are another kind of example of a team that has high upside. I'm, I'm optimistic for the Knicks. I do think that the biggest luxury you can have as an NBA team 
is going into the season with no expectations. When you have no expectations and you put together three straight wins, all of a sudden you start believing in yourself. You start believing in your team. Uh, I don't know if you remember Spencer, uh, but last year the Knicks squeaked out a bunch of games, right? They, they won a bunch of games. They didn't have any business winning. They won by two, by three, by four. Um, and if half of those games went in the other direction, we're probably looking at a play-in series where we might or might not win. Totally. I think we're going to make the playoffs. I, I don't necessarily agree with the characterization that the Knicks uh, stink the bed in the playoffs, just because I think the Hawks were a better team. They were underrated. And, you know, Julius Randle's great, but one thing Julius Randle has proven to struggle with is guys that are of a similar size and mobility to him. So John Collins was a really tough matchup. Danilo Gallinari somehow became a defensive stopper against uh, Randle. So I think we're in much better position come playoff time now that we have Kemba, now that we have Evan Fournier. Um, RJ Barrett should take a leap this year. Uh, I really am bullish on our young guys between quickly. I like Deuce McBride a lot. Oh, yeah. Quentin Grimes is solid. Um, I think there's still another move or two to be made just because like, I don't see a world in which keeping Kevin, Kevin Knox as the 12th man really makes sense. And I'm sure <laughs> there's a team out there that would give up a second rounder for a flyer on him. Um, but we'll see. I think it will be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the NBA is just it's such a chaotic place right now with all these trades and like all these, there's so many stacked teams, I think now there, I mean, there's so many, I think the level of play and the quality of players is greater than it ever has been. You know, do you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I think the league is in agreement with you there, uh, which is one of the, the reasons why I think we'll probably end up seeing uh, 32 teams in the NBA within the next decade. Uh, that's actually... I never even thought about adding more teams, but I can definitely see that being the case just because the amount of talent there is now, the technology that's been developed to help these players exceed their potential and upgrade their game to ways that it's just never been done before is like insane. But I also wanted to ask you this one question because one of the overarching themes of the podcast is to kind of dive into people we have on and to kind of see how they got to the place they got to where they are today. So what have you kind of developed? Like what habits have you kind of developed to help maximize what you've done? And what are you going to continue to develop in order to continue to be the better version of yourself? Yeah, ton of habits. Uh, I would say one of the big ones is any, any time I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with the number of things to do. Uh, I'm a big list maker. So I'll, I'll write down a list of all the things on my mind. And then I'll almost like triage out, like, how can I bu- bucket these? How should I prioritize these? And once it's out in writing, it's far less uh, stressful. I think one of the, the biggest uh, stressors in my life is like knowing that I have all of these things up here and worrying that I'll forget one. So once I can add them to a list, that, that makes life a lot easier. Um, some other habits I've developed, um, definitely like taking a break, uh, later in the day, uh, to allow myself the opportunity to kind of recharge mentally and then come back to work. Um, 
my, my typical days these days are like from 10 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. to right around 1 a.m. Um, with few, oh. few and far, few breaks in between. So taking like an hour or two between like 8 and 10 p.m. really allows me to kind of disconnect, come back with a fresher mind and, and finish the job, so to speak, at the end of the day. That's awesome. Yeah. True entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. You don't work a nine to five, you work a, a 10 to one. So that is, uh, <laughs> that's the way to go. Um, yeah. There's no work hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. There is. Yeah. It's, it's 24 hours uh, during the day. So um, Jacob, this was such a great show. Thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed having you. I'm super excited for Top Shot and for your you know career to continue, uh, you know, the trajectory it's going at. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Had a lot of fun, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, see you guys on the next episode. This is the Conscious Minds Podcast, and see you guys later.